0: In the Christian Bible, the New Testament begins with four documents called Gospels. The word Gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion, which means good news. But what kind of good news? Gospel is the good news that God is sovereign, that although the world might look like it's falling apart, God is still in control. In this vein, the greatest news of all is that the Messiah, the anticipated king that God has promised, reigns. So it was that after the death of Jesus, his early followers preached good news about him, his life, his death, how he brings change to the world, and how he is implementing his reign as the sovereign of the Lord, as the Messiah the Anointed One of God. Good morrow everybody, I'm your host Ben LaBoot, and welcome to Stories of Symmetry. Today's episode is called Breakfast with Jesus. Each of the four good news accounts, called Gospels, are about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But each of the four purported authors, the eponymous Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, had a different relationship with Jesus and was writing to a different audience. Therefore, each Gospel focuses on different aspects of Jesus based on what was most important to the writer. Additionally, as an author, how to end your work is very important. What is the last image that you want to leave in the mind of the reader? Indeed, how do you conclude a biography about Jesus the Messiah? Matthew and Luke each concluded his work with Jesus' final moments on the earth. It has been 40 days since the resurrection. Since he had risen... Jesus had been appearing to groups of his early followers to comfort them, reassure them, explain everything they had not previously understood, and prepare them for spreading his good news throughout the entire world. With his last earthly moments, Jesus gathered his disciples, gave them his final commission and blessing, and then ascended into the firmament. Relaying that scene is how Matthew and Luke ended their Gospels. Mark ended his by describing the scene when it was first realized that Jesus had risen from the dead. It was early in the morning when a group of bold women headed to the tomb of Jesus to give him the proper Jewish burial that he had not received at the time of his death. When they arrived, lo, the tomb was empty, save for a heavenly attendant who told them that Jesus was not there, but had risen from the grave, just as he said he would. The women are terrified. Thus ends Mark's Gospel. However, that cliffhanger ending was unsatisfactory for some, so very early on, a postscript was added. That addendum brought the revised Gospel of Mark up to speed with those of Matthew and Luke ending with the disciples watching the last earthly moments of Jesus as he ascended into heaven until clouds blocked him from their view. Finally, we have the Gospel of John. And how did he choose to end his good news account of Jesus? With a conversation that was had during a breakfast picnic with Jesus on the shores of Lake Galilee. Now, if you're like me, you are probably asking yourself, who is this John fellow anyway, and why should I care about his gospel? I'm glad you asked. John was one of the twelve original disciples of Jesus. And even more so, John, along with his brother James and the disciple Peter, were Jesus' closest companions. They three were closer to Jesus than the rest of the twelve, and were privy to the most important aspects of his life and teaching. The Church Fathers maintained that John was the youngest of the Twelve Disciples, and that he outlived the others, living into his nineties. His Gospel, the Gospel of John, was the last of the four to be written, and was stylized very differently than the other three. The most likely explanation for the stylistic differences is that John was writing his after several or more decades of spreading the Good News, and that the lessons learned in that time along with his accumulated life and wisdom as an old man, gave John a different perspective than the other gospel writers had. And it's not that John's was better or worse, simply different. Thus, with the close personal relationship that John had with Jesus, and with his time as a Christ follower, when it came time to write his account of the life and consequence of Jesus, and with the writing of that document being perhaps the culmination of his life, his opus and gift to posterity and the world. After looking back through all the years and their occurrences, John chose to end his gospel with the story of breakfast with Jesus. Now, let's figure out why. When Jesus was arrested, his disciples were forced into hiding. When Jesus was subsequently executed by crucifixion, his disciples had to reassess everything that they had believed about Jesus. Their lives were abruptly and gravely overturned. Yet on the morning of the third day, the disciples were told by a handful of the female followers that they had seen Jesus resurrected from the dead. Before too long, Jesus then appeared to the disciples themselves. Eight days after that, Jesus appeared again. Now, we pick up the story sometime after that second encounter. Peter, Thomas, James, John, Nathaniel, and two others are in a boat fishing on the Sea of Galilee. They have been casting their nets all night, and now the dawn is breaking, but they haven't caught a single fish. A man on the shore calls out, "'Ho! Have you lads caught anything?' No, we have not. You should cast your nets from the starboard. There, you'll get a catch." So the fishermen take the advice of the landlubber, cast their nets from the right side of the boat, and immediately their nets are filled with so much that they can't even haul them in. At this exact moment, Peter realizes that the man on the shore is no stranger. He is Jesus. And being filled with such Uncontainable excitement, Peter cries out, It is the Lord! Grabs his shirt, jumps out of the boat, and swims over to Jesus on the shore. The remaining fishermen bring the boat and the 153 massive fish that they've just caught. On the sand, they find Jesus with bread and fish atop a charcoal fire. He instructs the fishermen to bring over the fresh fish, and he tells them, Come and have breakfast. For professional fishermen, they could have been better at their jobs, because this encounter was not the first, but the second time we know of when they fished all night without a catch, and then listened to the advice of a random shoreling about where and how to fish. Luke tells us that nearly the same thing happened over three years prior. At that first encounter, after a long night of fishing without catching anything, Jesus told Peter to cast his nets into the deep. Peter reluctantly complied and, to his incredulity, filled his nets with more fish than his boat alone could handle. And it was at that scene that Peter first realized that Jesus was more than simply a charismatic and enlightened teacher, but truly one sent from God. That is why, when the nets became filled with fish at the end of John's Gospel, Peter jumped out of the boat and swam over to Jesus a la Forrest Gump seeing Lieutenant Dan at the dock. Seeing Jesus reminded Peter of that first time three years earlier when he first began to understand who Jesus was and made the decision to become his disciple and follow him. When Jesus called Peter, he said, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch people instead of fish. And for the next three years, Peter learned from Jesus, along with James and John, the closest companions of Jesus. Remember that at Caesarea Philippi, it was Peter who proclaimed Jesus as Messiah and Son of the Living God. It was Peter who Jesus called the Rock. It was Peter who walked on water with Jesus. It was Peter, who, at the anticipation of Jesus' imminent arrest, said, Lord, whether to prison or to death, I will not falter, but follow you. But how did that work out? That evening, during the Last Supper, Jesus said, Peter, truly I say to you that the rooster will not crow at dawn before you will have denied me three times. And as surely as the sun did rise that morning, the words of Jesus proved true. Throughout the night, after Jesus had been arrested, not once but three times did bystanders accuse Peter of being one of the disciples of Jesus. But three times Peter said, I do not know that man. The Bible says that when the rooster crowed that morning and Peter realized what he had done, He wept bitterly. Jesus was killed before Peter saw him again. Peter, the close friend of Jesus and rock upon which the congregation of Jesus was to lay its foundation, crumbled. Peter not only lost his friend and mentor, he denied and betrayed him. In his Divine Comedy, Dante Alighieri said that the deepest circle of hell is reserved for those who betray their lords. That is, those who betray the people who love them most. Dante said that at the center of the ninth circle of hell, there are three people. The disciple Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and Cassius and Brutus, who together conspired to assassinate Julius Caesar. The story of Caesar goes that on the Ides of March, 44 B.C., Caesar was ambushed in the theater of Pompeii. Though he was stabbed 23 times, he defended himself until the moment when he saw his friend Brutus among the attackers. Upon seeing Brutus there, Caesar gave up. I wonder how Jesus felt to be denied by his friend Peter. According to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Let us return to the night that Jesus was betrayed. The Passover meal is concluded, and Jesus took his disciples to a garden of olive trees just outside of Jerusalem. There, at the Garden of Gethsemane, it is the last time that many of his disciples would see Jesus before the crucifixion. Jesus was arrested in the Garden, and his disciples scattered, fearing for their own lives. We don't know where everyone went. We know that Peter denied Jesus three times. We know that Judas hanged himself in shame. And we know that John the Gospel writer, went to witness the crucifixion. Only he of the twelve disciples watched Jesus die, probably because he was the youngest and also the caretaker of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and any of the others would have been arrested if present. The thing to note is that the disciples scattered. At some later time tea, they met at a house in Jerusalem and locked themselves inside. They had to contend with not only their likely arrests, but also the death of their rabbi. For them, the death was an augury. It represented not only the death of a man, but the death of what they believed, because they believed that Jesus was the anointed one of God who was to establish a new kingdom. But he never got that chance. He was executed and hastily placed in a grave without even time for a proper ceremony. aftersoons though, Jesus appeared to them, glorified and resurrected, to allay all their worries and, what's more, confirm himself as the Messiah and Savior. As Lee Strobel phrases it, the resurrection is the supreme vindication of Jesus' divine identity and his inspired teaching. It's the proof of his triumph over sin and death. It's the foreshadowing of the resurrection of his followers. It's the basis of Christian hope. It's the miracle of all miracles. Jesus appeared to them the first time, and then again eight days later, proving to them that he had both died and resurrected. But even after then, when we find the story that concludes the Gospel of John, the disciples were not out preaching to the world, They were fishing on the Sea of Galilee. They had returned to their former lives, before Jesus, when they were fishermen in the north country. So what happened? Did Jesus appearing twice have no effect on them? Let's pick up the story again. Peter, followed by the rest of the fishermen in the boat, made it to shore to find Jesus preparing bread and fish over a charcoal fire. Jesus instructed them to bring some of the fresh fish over, and he told them, Come and have breakfast. During the meal, we don't know what happened. Did they talk? If so, about what? Heavy or light things? We don't know. But after the meal, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than you love our friends here? Peter replied, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Again, Peter replied, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Tend my sheep. Then a third time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was disheartened that Jesus would ask him a third time, but nevertheless he replied, Yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Then feed my sheep, Peter. Truly, truly, I say to you, When you were a young man, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you, and carry you where you do not want to go. By these words, Jesus was telling Peter, Until now, you have lived your life by your terms, wearing what you want to wear, going where you want to go. But I am calling you to feed my sheep, to lead my congregation. From here on, your life will not be your own, because I will call you where I need you, and I will take you places where you do not want to go. If you are sincere, and you say that you love me, then this is what I require of you. Peter looked across the fire to John and seeing his dear friend, asked Jesus, What about John? Jesus replied, What about him? Do not worry about John. Whether he joins you in this mission or not, whether he drops dead right here, or whether he lives forever, what does it matter? This isn't about John. I am asking you, Simon, son of John, Peter, to follow me. After this, the author concluded his gospel, with a note saying that Jesus never said that John would live forever, it was only an illustration. Then, the author revealed his identity and ended the work with, This writer is the disciple John, about whom Jesus is speaking, and I am now bearing witness to these things, that you may have a true and accurate testimony about Jesus. When Jesus first met his future disciples and filled their nets with fish, he called them and said, Come, follow me, and you will no longer be fishermen, but fishers of men. When, at the end of John's Gospel, Jesus again filled their nets, he reminisced that earlier encounter. And this time, he gave a new commission, not to follow the person of Jesus around the country but to follow the Spirit of Jesus throughout the entire world, and to share the good news about himself and the messianic kingdom that he had come to establish. But why were the disciples not doing that? Why were they returned to their former lives as fishermen? Why did Jesus have to come and relive for them the scene from three years earlier? Let's look at Simon Peter, the rock who holds the keys to heaven but who denied Jesus three times. Peter was crushed because he betrayed his friend Jesus. My guess is that he gave up on that life. Peter wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to do everything that he said he would. But when he tried, look what happened. He believed that he would stand strong for Jesus against any adversity. But when push came to shove... He faltered at the first sign of trouble. If Jesus asked Peter to follow him, what might Peter have replied? I wanted to. I still do. I want to follow you. But when the going got tough, I broke. I want to, but I can't. I failed. I thought that I would stand up with you until the end, but you knew that it wasn't in me. You predicted it. You said that I would deny you three times, and before the sun came up, I had. If Peter ever uttered similar words, they were true. But there's more to the story, because then Jesus would reply, What are you talking about, Peter? You're saying that three times you denied me, but three times I just heard you say that you love me. But three times I denied you. I don't know what you're talking about. Three times you said you love me. Three times, Peter. And don't you ever think that you can't do it because you messed up that one night. I need you, Peter. They need you. My sheep need you. And the only thing that I'm asking of you, the only thing that I require, the only prerequisite, is that you love me and are willing to follow me. As John concludes his gospel, Peter is ready to follow Jesus. He will not again return to catching fish. We know that Peter goes on to lead the nascent Church of Jesus and never again denies his Savior, even to the point of execution for his faith. But that day on the beach, breakfast with Jesus, we can see the struggle. We can see the tension and uncertainty. That is why Peter asked about John, because he wanted the comfort and guidance of a missionary partner. Maybe with John he can do it. But Jesus told him that it wasn't about John. Don't factor him into the decision. Jesus said, you need to make your own choice to follow. Don't worry about John. This is your choice, and you make it on your own. You see, The Jesus life is designed to be lived with others and in community, but it is an individual choice. You cannot choose to follow Jesus only if John does likewise. You must stand firm and choose Jesus even if no one else does. No matter what happens to the others, you must make the decision in your own mind. So the question is, what's your excuse What is making you think that you aren't fit to follow Jesus? Peter thought that it was his thrice denial of Jesus, but Jesus went out of his way to track down Peter and say that it didn't matter. What is making you say, I can't follow Jesus? Don't let what you're telling yourself ruin what God has planned for you. Jesus, I can't do it, because I don't understand all the theology. I don't even know if I believe everything I'm hearing. Simon, son of John, do you love me? But you don't understand where I'm coming from, my past and what they did to me. Simon, son of John, do you love me? But that preacher at that church told me that God hates me, that I'm an awful person. Do you love me? I can't do it alone. Do you love me? I denied you. I said that I hate you. I turned my back on you. Do you love me? I don't know what to do or where to begin. Do you love me? You know I do. Then feed my sheep. Stories of Symmetry will be back in two weeks. Go with God, go in peace.